Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Go down to Costco or Sam's gas line and try to get in. Try to get in in front of somebody. I promise you they will explode on you right there. But what I'm, what I, what I'm wanting to say is that people seem to be angry today, more so than I can ever remember. Um, it reminds me of a story that I heard about a husband who was so upset with his wife that he just, bah, he just spewed on her, right? He was just letting her have it for some insignificant thing. Isn't that how, ladies, isn't that what most men do? Don't be careful what you say, okay? But just letting her have it. And finally, he regained his composure and he calmed down and he looked at his wife and he said, why is it that when I get mad, You never say anything. You won't fight back. How do you control your anger? And she just looked at him and said, well, I just go and I I do stuff. I'll I'll clean the the toilet. I'll clean the the bathtub. And uh, the husband said, how in the world does that help you? And with a big smile on her face, she said, I use your toothbrush. (laughs) People today are angry, they're upset, they're hurting. People today, for some reason, feel entitled that the world owes them something and hurried. They feel overwhelmed, they feel frustrated, and they don't know where it's coming from. But I promise you, they do react. Some with outbursts of anger, and some even violently. Others internalize and they push down their feelings and, and then there are others who deny their feelings or they mask them and they put on this mask like everything's great on the inside but, or on the outside but on the inside they're falling apart and they're hurting and they're angry and they think that somehow if I just mask it, if I don't let anybody know, then it's going to be better. But the truth is suppressing your feelings isn't any better than lashing out at someone else. And the sad thing is not only do we see this happening in the world, but we actually see it happening in the church today. A recent Barna Group study found that 80% of pastors, and I can speak from the context of pastors, that 80% of pastors believe that pastoral ministry has had a negative effect upon their families. 35% of pastors are battling depression or fight feelings of inadequacy. 47% of pastors recently polled said that they are contemplating leaving the ministry. And when they cite the reasons for why they're leaving, it's quite interesting. They say that things like, well, in our churches today, we have people who think that they can say anything and everything that they want to anybody and don't have to be held accountable by it because they just report to God. I'm 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 giving you a report today. I'm not saying that that's happening. I'm giving you the report. You make up your mind. I do know this. I do know that I have been in churches where we have families that call themselves Christians, and yet they they attend different churches because they can't get along with one another. But, oh, but we love Jesus, right? And if you say or do something that I don't agree with, I'm going to set you straight right now. 
as though that's okay. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Recently, I was in a minister's retreat out in the, in the Palm Desert area where my friend, great pastor, Pastor Scott Young, pastors a great church called Hope Church in Sarasota, Florida. Of all places, that's a beautiful place to serve the Lord. But he shared a message that well, while we were gathered together that I believe the Holy Spirit used to speak to my heart, a word to my heart, for my, one of, part of my assignment of coming in and serving as your pastor, as we look for the next pastor, part of my assignment is to do the kinds of things that I'm talking to you about today. And he shared a word with us there that I want to share with you today. Because I really believe that today could be a turning point day for someone in this place this morning. I believe it could be a turning point for those of you that are watching online. And I believe that it can be a day of launch for us as a church if we will just wrap our minds around what God is trying to say to us through his word today. I want to uh, give you what the man said, first of all, so that you'll understand where we're going. And then I'll get into the scripture. Scott stood on the platform on one, on, I think it was his opening night, and he said this. He said, always remember this. Always remember that when you're faced with a problem that you don't quite understand or you can't quite overcome, or you have an urge to lash out and let somebody have it, or you have this overwhelming sense of discouragement, it's like a cloud that just kind of hovers over you, or feelings of inadequacy, our feelings of self-pity, just remember this. He said, there's always a thing behind the thing. I want you to think about that with me. There's always a thing behind that thing that you're struggling with. That's what we're going to look at today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, Paul the apostle is having to defend his ministry. He has Christians who are attacking him and saying that he's not doing a very good job. He's not really as articulate as some of our other speakers. We're comparing him to others, and we don't think he quite measures up. This is Paul's response, and it's in the context of defending his ministry that we read some of the most powerful passages that are ever written in the New Testament. He says this in verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away, I beg you that when I come to you, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now he marshals, he goes on and he, he kind of he, he spells out to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 12, verse, or chapter 6, verse 12, he elaborates on what he's told the church at Corinth. He says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. David, little David, when he was going out to fight Goliath, he made a declaration. He understood this. He understood all of this of what, we're, what Paul is explaining to these two churches. Because he made a declaration to Goliath. He made a declaration to King Saul, to all the enemy armies of the Philistines, and all the armies of God. He said this in 1 Samuel 17, 47. He said, the battle is the Lord's. I want you, if you get nothing else I say today, I want you to hear that with what you're going through. The battle is the Lord's. It's not your battle. It's God's battle. The greatest mistake that you can make when it comes to to evil and thinking about evil is to either overestimate it or to underestimate it. You say, what do you mean? To overestimate it means that you see the devil in your closet. If you overestimate it, you see a demon behind every tree. The devil made me do it, you know? That's overestimating it. Underestimating it would be be to deny the scriptures that we have just read regarding spiritual warfare. So, what are these strongholds that the apostle tells us, Paul? tells us that we are, are, are fighting and that the devil tries to use against you and me in our everyday life. He spells them out for us in verses 4 and 5. Look at it with me. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And they're threefold, three things that we're going to look at. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. These strongholds are three things in this context. They are arguments. Our logismos is the Greek word. And it literally means it's a strategy that an attorney might use to wear you down with his opposing view. In this context, it's an opposing view to what God's word has to say. I want you to hear that. It's something like, well, if God's so good, why does God allow suffering? You're a follower of Jesus Christ, Ryan. If people knew, John, if they knew how you really were and how you really act down there at BFA, they'd never want you to come in and go to their church. That's the kind of stuff he says. Or the opposite of that is pretensions. These are things that lift up. If he can't get us that way, he comes at us with pretensions, which things that lift up, idols that are meant to distract us. And the enemy will whisper in our ear and try to convince us that we are more successful or more important or more uh, impressive than we really are. And he'll come and say, you know what? You're really a great Christian. You're a great Christian. You know those people down at BFA? They're lucky to have you. That's the kind of things he says. And he's trying to keep you from seeing things as they really are. And he attacks us not only with arguments and pretensions, he attacks us in our thoughts by redefining truth and trying to put doubt in our minds. Probably the classic example from Scripture comes from the book of Genesis 
where the serpent came and tempted Eve. And do you remember what he said to, to Eve? He said, did God really say that you will die if you eat of that forbidden tree? Did he really say that? Now, friends, if we f- start falling for the schemes of the enemy in these three areas, it shows up in all kinds of ways. Kerry Newhoff, who is a great pastor and uh, author, Christian author, he says there are many signs that evil is winning and God's not winning in your life. And, but there are five that I want to give to you today that I think are so very important. And I want you to hear these because these seem to be the most common that the enemy uses against us. The first one would be you are living a divisive life. You're divisive. I think if there's a strategy, if there's a strategy the devil loves and he'd call his number one attack on you and me, it's division. If he can divide, he can conquer. The Bible says we're the strongest when we're united, right? When we're together in purpose and vision and belief. And many believers today, for some reason, the enemy has, has got us convinced. I don't know where it came from. Well, I do know where it came from. It came from the devil. But it, I don't know how he convinced us that we think that we, are, we have been given a badge by God that we and a, and a, a notebook to write out tickets to people who step out of line. I am the spiritual policeman. You just step out of line one time. You don't, you don't quote that scripture the right way. Boom. There you go. That's how we feel sometimes. But Paul, he elaborates on this in Galatians chapter 5. He points out to us the difference in behavior between those who are following the flesh and those who are following the spirit. You want to know what the flesh looks like? Listen to these. These are the fruit of the flesh. Hatred. Discord. Sexual immorality. Jealousy. Impurity. Debauchery. Fits of rage. Dissension. Factions. Envy. Conceit. Does that any of that sound familiar? Man, I I fight those things all the time. I'm being honest. They're the fruit of the flesh. That's what my flesh wants to do. That's how my flesh wants to react. But listen to what Paul says happens when Jesus Christ gets a hold of a person or gets a hold of a church. He says, this is what we produce as followers of Christ because we're full of the Spirit. We produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Newhoff says it this way. I love this statement. I want to read it to you. He says this, even if you feel like you need to take a stand on an issue, it's probably not a stand for Jesus if it ultimately produces more division and bitterness than it does unity and love. If our definition of Christianity is characterized by division and hatred and anger, I promise you that is not biblical character, that is not biblical Christianity. Division. There's a thing behind the thing. Are you with me? That's pretty weak this morning. 
There's a second way that the enemy tries, a tactic that he uses on us, and that's to convince us that, uh, it, it, well, really, it's arrogance. Let me give it to you first. It's arrogance. And, it's, and at the root of arrogance is pride. And the enemy's tactic is to convince us that if you go, if you go out and blast somebody, you know what, you rah, 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 rah. And you know you're, you were, you know, I know I was wrong, but the enemy perches on your shoulder and says, but you know what, they had it coming. It's not your fault. It's their fault. They should have done it the right way. But if we succeed at something, he'll then perch on his shoulder and he'll say, you know, they couldn't have done that without you. You're pretty special. The Bible says that all good things in our life come from him. There's only one person that deserves glory for what happens in us and through us, and that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, that is scripture. That's what the Bible says. That's, you say, well, I didn't learn that when I was, you know, growing up. Well, look at the Bible. That's what it has to say. Arrogance, if we're honest, arrogance and pride is something we all have to fight. Unfortunately, if the battle against pride isn't fought daily, Paul said, I die daily. If we don't do that daily, pride tends to win out. I was telling our board, we had a wonderful meeting yesterday. I had the opportunity to meet with all of the boards here that make up uh, First Assembly, and uh, it was a great day. And I told, I told all the guys and gals that the goal of Christian leadership and the goal of Christianity is not to get people to follow us. The goal of Christianity, which is evangelism and discipleship, is to get people to follow Jesus. Amen? So important. I think another way that arrogance and pride creep in is when Christians think we equate, we equate knowledge with maturity. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. The more knowledge I get, the more mature I am. Paul says, not so fast, my friend. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, he says, knowledge makes you arrogant, but love makes you humble. You take the knowledge that you gain from reading the scripture and it's, it smacks, it reeks, it leaks of love. And I'm telling you, you become a dynamo for Jesus. You, can, you and him and those that are with you can take this world on for Christ. Thirdly, a favorite tactic of the enemy is to get you to blur the moral, moral lines. This is a tough one. I... I it used to surprise me. It doesn't anymore, but moral failure is becoming a common thing in the world today, right? We see it at every level, and it's so sad. Unfortunately, we see it in the pew. We see it in the pulpit. But I want you to know that kind of stuff doesn't happen overnight. Listen to me, guys. Ladies, that stuff doesn't happen overnight. No, you don't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll go have an affair. It's not how it works. It takes time. It happens as we compromise the little things. That's why the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. That's why we have to do the little things and be faithful in the little things, even though they seem boring, they seem mundane. You say, what are you talking about? Being faithful to my husband, being faithful to my wife, being faithful to my children, doing the things that I say I'm going to do, 
right? Not being double-tongued, double-minded. Reading the word, prayer, the things, the little things that seem so, that sometimes you say, I wonder if they're doing any good. You bet they're doing good. Because here's what happens a lot of times. We want God to use us for big things. And God says, why would I use you for big things if I can't trust you to do little things? It starts in the little things. There are two other tactics that I want to give you real quick and we close. One tactic that the enemy uses is discouragement and the other is self-pity. Discouragement hits us all from at some time or another. Those thoughts of, I'm no good, man. I'm not really making a difference. I, I always mess up. What's the point? I might as well just give up. Anybody ever been there? We've all, we all face it. I want to say this to you. There's a thing behind a thing. Those are lies that hell is trying to convince you that you are that way. And do you know what the best way to confront a lie is? With the truth. With the truth. And if you're discouraged today, we call that those kinds of thoughts, we call that stinking thinking, right? It's not from, it's not from God. It's from hell. It smacks of the fires of hell because it's out to do one thing and that's destroy you and to rob you of everything God has for your life. And the best way to confront a lie is to confront it with the truth. So if you're discouraged here today, the best thing you can do is to get into the truth. Get into God's word. Get it into your mind and into your spirit. And look at the verses. There's so many. Let me just give you a couple. 1 John 3.1 says this. If you're discouraged... See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. That should be enough, but he doesn't stop there. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Not only do, are you a chosen, but he said, I chose you before you were ever born, before the creation of time. I determined that you were going to be a king and priest in my kingdom. That should encourage us, right? It should encourage us, but he doesn't stop there. Look at our text in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, you know what? Not only are you my son and you're my daughter, but I, when you get in a battle, you never fight fair. You say, well, what do, I, what do you mean, Lord? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. But if you are using that power to come against a human being or flesh and blood, it will not work. The divine power will not work. How many of you know there's a difference between worldly power and godly or kingdom power? Worldly power, how do you get that? You get that through dominance, through intimidation, through authority, through control but not kingdom power. Kingdom power comes through submission and surrender and service. Jesus said some of his last words in Acts 1.8, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Church, divine power comes when you get out of the way. And you quit doing it your way anymore. You say, God, I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to surrender to you. And that's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes. Let me just say this. When you get, if you see God blessing somebody or blessing some other and, and their ministry or whatever it might be, and God's, it doesn't seem like God's blessed you, don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at those other people. No, be thankful that you are currently in the center of God's will. He says, I have you in the palm of my hand. Wherever you go, you're in the palm of my hand. And so knowing that I'm in the palm of God's hand should cause me to want to celebrate what God's doing in your life, right? But instead, many of us, we get jealous, right? But there's a thing behind the thing. What's causing all of that? It's all that garbage, I want to tell you that the first step in seeing strongholds destroyed in our lives is, first of all, we have to acknowledge that they're there. Okay, let me bring this in for a landing. Self-pity. What is self-pity? Self-pity happens when we refuse to deal with discouragement. Self-pity believes the lies that discouragement is telling you. You're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. And the last thing that self-pity does is it robs you of your joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. If you lose your joy, you lose his strength. And the the way that you know that you have given in to self-pity is that you'll acknowledge there's a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I I was trying to think about who's a a good example of a of self-pity. I thought about Eeyore. Do you remember remember that? Eeyore. You just kind of walk around, yeah, I know, but I don't like it. You know, how do you know when you've given in to self-pity? You know because you'll acknowledge, yeah, I got a problem. I know there's a problem, but you don't own the problem. And you don't bring it to God and say, God, help me here. Forgive me. If there's something I'm doing here, show me what you want me to do. And then receive his forgiveness. And the Bible promises that he will set you free from that. He will set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm here to remind you today that if you're struggling with any of these things, I want to suggest to you there is a thing behind the thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ never will lead you to self-pity. It will always lead you to transformation. That's what he does. Now, I told you that the Lord gave me a word at minister's retreat. And I've, I, I have been speaking, I've been seeking his face. I've been working with the board. I've been working with the staff. Been at, we've been asking God, God, what, what is it that you want us to do? We know we're here to try to find a pastor. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to be doing? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. I've called this church, I've called you, the leadership of this church, I've called this church to seek my face, and I will show you what the thing behind the thing is. I will expose it to the light of my spirit, and then you will take authority as a church over it in my name, 
and I will tear down those strongholds that have plagued my people and plagued my church for decades. That's what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling with pride, you're struggling with discouragement and self-pity and grief, listen, some of us are still grieving what took place in, in 9-11. Some of us are still grieving what happened in 2020. And some of us are grieving over people we've lost from this church that we had relation, long-standing relationships with, but they've gone to other churches. And we're grieving. And any good counselor, good psychiatrist can tell you, everybody, there's a grief process that you have to go through. There are stages of grief. Everybody that grieves goes through that. Some go through all stages. Some of them just get through and they're over it. Some get stuck in those stages and they need extra help. They may need counseling. I get that. I understand that. But there's those things, there's a root behind them. It could be something that happened in the past that wounded you, and you just can't seem to get past it. And maybe what's happened is you've become bitter, and you've become angry, or maybe you're struggling with anxiety or fear. Whatever it is, there's a thing behind the thing. And if you don't recognize Satan's schemes and his strategy, you won't ever be able to overcome it because you're pouring your energies to overcome it in the wrong thing. You're focusing in on flesh and blood. But once you see the enemy's schemes, you hold them up to the light of the Holy Spirit, that's when they lose their power. Hallelujah. How many will receive that this morning? I want you to stand to your feet if you would. And I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment as we prepare to close this service. Heavenly Father, I've shared today what I feel you've laid upon my heart. I believe that we are spiritual people too. We are, the, we are the church of the living God. We are a theocracy. That means that you are the head. That we don't get to vote on or change anything in the Bible. That's not what we do. We, take, we, we have one word, one word to your command. Two words. Yes, Lord. Whatever you say, we say, yes, Lord. And so today, you are here in a very special way to set us free. And I'm praying for us as we walk through these next few moments before we leave this church, that God, you will do something supernatural in the life of every person here today. As our heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you a very important question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your personal savior? You can. He's here. We'd love to introduce you to him. I'd love to pray for you. If you're here and you'd say, John, pray for me. I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is alive in me. I don't want to go through Thanksgiving without knowing Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now all over this building? I want to make sure that Jesus is alive in me, that he's alive in me. Yes, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? I'm going to give you a moment. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? You're here today. You can put your hand down. You're here and you have hurt from the past. Maybe you're dealing with anger or grief or fear or anxiety. Maybe it's bitterness. I don't know. It could be anything. But today, you'd say, you know what, John? I'm tired of this. I want God to set me free from this. I want to expose it to the light. If that's you today, just lift your hand 
right where you're at, right all over this building. Yes. Amen. 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 There are many of us. This is going to be your, this is going to be your declaration of independence day, right today. I believe that with all my heart. You can put your hand down. Here's what I'd like you to do. There's one more step that I'm going to ask you to take. And I'm going to ask you to come to the front and stand here. And we're going to do, we, we sang this course, we sang it earlier, I, about speaking Jesus over our families, over all of the streets, over everybody, over our church. We're going to speak Jesus over you today as we conclude in prayer, and then we'll send you out. But we're going to sing through this course a few times. And if you raised your hand today, or if you didn't, but you would like to be included in this prayer, prayer for salvation, you come down, we'll pray for you. Prayer for overcoming these situations. Would you come as we sing this together? That's right, come on down. Just lift your hands as you come. Sing it to the Lord. We're going to speak Jesus over these things. Jesus for my family. Yes, I speak your holy name. Jesus. By lifting your hands is a sign of unconditional surrender to God. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm lifting my hands. I may not understand it all, but I'm lifting my hands to Jesus. That's right. Come on down. There's still room for you. There's still room. Don't leave this place with any kind of bondage today. This is Freedom Day. This is the day you will be set free from that by the power of the Holy Spirit. it is. Just invoke Jesus right now in your situation. God, I'm giving up my anger. Lord, I'm laying my grief at your feet. I'm tired of carrying it. I give it to you. Yes. Lord, I give those thoughts of inadequacy to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's already moving. It's already moving. Hallelujah. Father, we are standing here today. There were many hands that were raised. These that have come here today are saying, I'm tired of dealing with this thing on my own strength. I am laying at your feet today my anger, my outbursts of anger. I'm, I am giving up my reactions. I don't want to be a reaction person. I want to be a responsive person. I don't want to explode on people. I want to love people. Your word tells us we can speak the truth, and if it's done in love with a right heart, Lord, there's healing in that. Teach us how to do that, I pray. We lay at your feet today, Lord, our anxiety, our worries, our fear. And in the name of Jesus... Devil, we recognize your strongholds. You are a liar, and we rebuke you in Jesus' name. We take authority over you today. And Lord, we believe that you are tearing down the strongholds in the lives of these people, the lives of those that raise their hands, and the life of our church, Lord. This is your church. Lord, expose whatever you need to expose in me. Start with me, O oh God. 
things that need to be dealt with. Bring it out, Lord, and let me confess it as a sin that it is. That's the prayer that you're asking us to make today, Lord. Help us to do that. Lord, we're going to have an opportunity this week to go out, and we'll be tested in this area. It will be tested in this area, but every time we expose it to the light, it has less power on our lives. We're not demon-possessed. That's not what we're saying. We're just recognizing it's a stronghold, and we're casting it out today. But we're going to be with family this week, and Lord, there are going to be opportunities where we could really let somebody have it because somebody's going to say something we don't like, or Uncle Bill's going to be there, and you know how Uncle Bill is. But Lord, we want to, we want to respond. We want to love like Jesus loves. We want people to see Jesus in the way we talk in the way we treat our families, in the way we treat our neighbors, in the way we drive, in the way we do business, in the way we do everything, oh God. Be Lord of our lives is my prayer. These who raise their hand to receive Christ as their Savior today, your word says if we believe in our heart that Christ died on a cross and rose from the grave for our sins and we confess that with our mouth, that we will be sons of God. We will be daughters of God. That's what you say. So we thank you, Lord, that today's the first day of the rest of their life. All of heaven is rejoicing today because of these who are receiving Christ. We give you praise, Lord. And as we go from this place, we ask your blessing upon this great congregation. And Lord, should you tarry, we pray that you'll bring us back next week with glowing reports of how you've done miracles in us and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.